Amen. Um, man, it's good just to worship and um, uh, thank you for bracing the rain or the lightning. If you feared for your life driving here this morning, uh, God is good and protected you. Um, heard of a few crazy lightning stories already from last night in our church, so a couple of transformers here and there got hit, um, but God is good. No matter what, power, no power, right? So um, this morning, we're going we're gonna to dive into a, a message here, and um, you know, I want to start off with telling you my earliest memory of sinning. That's right. Now, as I'm about to tell you mine, be thinking about yours, okay? Like, when was the first time you have a memory of, oh yeah, I totally was sinning, right? So I was about three or four years old. Um, my mom had taken me to a store. She was shopping, and you know, uh, it was one of those smaller clothing shops. They didn't have the big grocery, they didn't have the big cars to strap your kid in, right? And so I probably need to be strapped at this point in my life, but there was no strapping in. And so they had this little corner in the shop to where it was like little toys and stuff, right? So kids could go and play. So mom walked in. I went to the little toy section, playing with little toy cars and stuff for 15, 20 minutes. My mom shops. Then it's time to go. She comes and gets me, and we head home. Well, we head home, and later that afternoon, I'm Upstairs in my room. Now, remember, I'm three or four years old, which means I did not have a uh, uh, consistent income at that time. Uh, Amazon did not exist for me to sneak on mom's phone and purchase something out of her knowing. So anything that I possessed, she actually knew about, right? And so there I am playing upstairs with this little toy car. And it was a car from the shop. Now, I'm playing with it. And, you know, I knew it was sinning because when my mom walked in, she said, Tyler, what are you doing? You just tuck the car, right? So like children actually know. Like if children are caught, it's like, oh yeah, they're caught, right? So there I was, I was caught, hiding this little car. She's like, uh, what are you hiding there? I was like, a car. She's like, where'd you get it from? Which, you know, she's a mom, right? Moms already know the answer. They're just trying to, like there, 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 are, there are some like godlike qualities on moms. They just actually see through everything. And so if you're a mom, you're chuckling because you're like, oh yeah, I've totally just, uh, I know exactly what my sons and daughters do, right? So I'm there hiding this little toy car, and she graciously says, hey, we don't do that. That's stealing, and we're going to take it back. So we hop in the car, three, four years old, head back to the shop that afternoon, and I go to the, it's like a classic movie scene, like little kid, counter, you know, lady behind the desk, and just here's my car, you know, and I'm literally saying, hey, I'm sorry. My mom helped me, like, I'm sorry for stealing this car. Will you forgive me? And, of course, the lady's probably about to cry because it's so sweet or laugh because she's like, you know, but my mom's back there like, be serious, you know, like be tough, right? Because this is a moment, right? So there I was, I said, I was sorry. Will you forgive me? The lady said, of course. I gave the car back and all was good, right? All was restored with the sales lady. Now I share that because here I am at 36 years old and I remember the details of that story. I don't remember a lot about being three or four years old, honestly, but I remember that. I remember that really marked to me. I remember that lesson. Now, I want you to think back to your childhood and, um, you know, uh, think back to how you were raised. Uh, some of you were raised by a single parent. Some were raised by mom and dad. Some may have been raised by grandparents or someone else in the family. But think about how you were raised. What was the environment you were in? Were you raised in an environment to where you were taught right and wrong and behavior was corrected? I would argue that probably most of us had some sort of experience there. You know, Proverbs 22.6 says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, some of you may have had that upbringing, and some of you may not have had that upbringing. But as I look at 
all of our kind of childhoods, here's something that I would say overarchingly would be consistent. For most people I've interacted with over the years, I would say a lot of people had right and wrong by a coach, teacher, family member, someone taught you kind of right and wrong, and in different ways, your behavior was corrected, right? Uh, there were consequences for your sin, or you were put in time out, or discipline, or what, whatever happened, right? It could have been in different realms, but most people kind of learn some right and wrong things. But I think what I would say is that what I want us to recognize is that um, in the realm of restoring relationships, it's not enough to just call out right and wrong. There's actually a missing piece. It's not just correcting the behavior that restores relationship. There's actually more pieces to it. There's actually more steps involved than just saying stop doing that or just give the car back. You see, when I was four years old, I got a taste of what that looked like, which included the words, I'm sorry, and will you forgive me? Now, my senior year of high school, fast forward, here I am, 18 years old. I played soccer uh, growing up. I started at age three, so here I am, 15 years in to my soccer semi-professional career, right, which we all think professionals in high school. I'm 18 years old, and my high school soccer team was a really good team that year. We were 5A. We, we won our district. It was pretty easy. I think we only lost one game the whole season. Here we are in the playoffs. We go out the first round, second round, third round. We're on to the round of 16, okay? So this is high school boys soccer. So they're round of 16. We're playing a big game in San Antonio. Now, um, I played sweeper, which in soccer is like the back defender right in front of the goalie, okay? So I was kind of like the last line of defense. And um, we're playing this game, and we're winning 1-0, right? So we're up 1-0, five minutes to go, and we're about to go to the quarterfinals of state. I mean, we had this, like, dream team. And um, five minutes to go, the other team gets a corner. And the corner kick comes in, and now it's my job to kind of position everybody to make sure we're actually going to get this kick out of here, right? So the corner's coming, and I'm in position to, like, get it and clear it. So I go for the ball, and it kind of takes a little dip, and I swing at it, and I hit it, but it ricochets, not that way, that way. Own goal. The goalie's right there. It just goes right beneath his feet. I scored an own goal with five minutes to go in a, you know, do or die situation. And the feeling I had at that moment was like, whatever you imagine it was, it was that. Okay? The feeling of the crowd, the coaches, it wasn't just feelings. There were some verbal uh, affirmations of what they felt uh, in the moment as well. Um, let's just say all eyes looked at me and is like, oh my gosh. Now I want you to understand something. I played for 15 years, like year-round soccer, my entire life. I cannot remember one own goal I ever scored. I'm at the very last game of my senior season in the playoffs. I scored the own goal. Yes, it was that bad. We go in overtime. We're still tied 1-1. We go to penalty kick shootout. We had to go to eight players. We kept tying, and eventually we lost. We lost the game. Now, San Antonio to Austin is only about an hour and a half bus ride, but it felt like 20 hours. Let's just say no one wanted to sit next to the guy who lost the season on the bus. Now, um, as brutal as that is, and hopefully you can understand that because <clears throat> although it was not sin for me in the eyes of God to score an own goal, it certainly was in the eyes of my coach. Um, and just, you know, in life, there are things that you do that you're a part of that may not be categorized as a sin reality, but they're still painful, right? They're still painful. They still hurt. They 
They, they, they cause you to either be bitter or angry or division within trust, within friendships or coachings or whatever. And that's what I felt. I felt devastated. I felt angry. I felt embarrassed. I felt shameful. You know, my parents are probably the only ones who didn't dog me uh, about that. They loved me and said, obviously, that is so disappointing, but we love you nonetheless. That was about, that was my only saving grace there. But other than that, it was brutal. And, you know, looking back, it's like, yeah, it's not a big deal, right? But you know how it is. When you're 18 and, and it's like, this is like your whole world, it's like, oh my gosh, this is horrible. Well, years later, I'm at a wedding. It's like five, six years later, I'm at a wedding. So I'm out of college now, and I go back to a wedding in Austin. And it's for an old buddy from high school. And goes to the wedding, my old soccer coach, Coach Fitz. I see Coach Fitz. I'm thinking, hey, six years, long time, a lot's passed. I walk up, hey, Coach Fitz, how you doing? I said, hey, Tyler, still remember that goal? <laughs> Just like that, straight-faced. Not joking. And I was like, yeah. And he said, you know, that really was the best team I ever coached. And, you know, it kept, every, I'm not a big crier. It kept it a lot to, like, not just completely break down in, in tears. It was brutal. I'm thinking, wow. Now, he has his own issues to deal with, obviously. You know, 50-year-old man who's so angry about what happened six years ago, okay? But I realized that, man, there was a pain that had never been resolved of my failure, of what I've done. In fact, it wasn't until a few years after that that going through a prayer ministry that I actually realized, like, this was like a real hard place for me. It was just hurtful. It just brought about a bunch of other thoughts and mindsets that were off and weren't godly. You see, when we fail, when we choose sin or when we hurt others, whether we meant to or not, because remember, I didn't want to score an own goal, but I did, right? Like, Oftentimes, we only put sin, or we only put these things in the category of, well, I didn't mean to. Well, of course. You didn't mean to hit your sister with a baseball bat, but you did. Right? So, is that excusable? No. Like, it's still, like, there is a consequence. That's a reality. And I think sometimes we get caught up in intentions, right? I didn't mean to. I know you didn't mean to, but you still embezzled money from the company. I, I didn't mean to, I know, but you still lashed out and said very hurtful things towards me. Right, so we have to understand that whether we meant to or not, it's still under the same category of sin and pain, and by the way, you hurt somebody. Now, we all wish we could go back. I wish I could go back to that moment and just let the ball sail over me because probably no one would have touched it and we would have gone on and I would have been a hero, right? But that didn't happen. I wish I could have gone back to four years old and not stolen the little car, but I just want to say this, that when you fail, the worst thing you can do is not learn from it. You're all going to fail. I know that's not very encouraging here at church. <laughs> You're going to fail. You're not going to make the team. You're not going to win. You're going to lose. You're going to come into college, and you're going to get smoked by your other classmates because you were great at your school but not here. That's going to happen in your life. You're going to have a real reality check. You're going to have a 4.0, go get your first job, and then you get demoted two years later. You're like, whoa, I've never been demoted. Hey, wake up. This is life. But if you don't learn from those things, you'll continue to spiral. But if you learn from mistakes, which I believe God is in the midst of those, he's always in the process of redeeming everything, remember? It doesn't matter. No, does he enjoy the pain of going through? No, but he's able to take that pain, take that place of hurt, and he's able to redeem it and spin it and say, no, no, this is for your good. Something in it. You've got to be able to see that in the midst of the challenging things. Now, 
What happens when you experience this, faint, this, this shame, this failure, the sin, the choices, the consequences? What, what, what do you do? Well, some of us just bury it, right, like I did. I just buried it and just allowed it to fester. Some of us, we, layer, we wear a label of guilty, guilty as charged, and you walk around with your shoulders slumped as an adult just in every area and every arena because you just felt the shame and embarrassment. You walk around like that. Some of us just give up on relationships, right? We give up. We just say, well, there's no more hope because whatever I've done is unrepairable. But you see, there's always hope. There's always hope in the gospel. There is always hope. There is no relationship that is beyond restoration. As long as that person <clears throat> and you have breath, as long as there's breath, as long as that person's heart is beating, there's hope. <clears throat> and can I just say that probably in this room we could all get up here and stand and share testimonies of people literally on their deathbeds, literally in their last moments, their relationships get restored. Now, do you wish it happened 30 years prior? Yes. But don't give up. Don't give up. Have hope that God can restore things. You know, 1 John 1, <clears throat> 5 through 10 says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. <clears throat> See, when it comes to restoring relationships, the way to restore relationships, he just said it, is to bring stuff into the light. You gotta bring stuff to the light, church. So where we're going for the next 15, 20 minutes is I'm gonna help you understand a process to bring things into the light. If you cannot bring things into the light, you will never be restored. List out how many marriages you know that ended in divorce and brokenheartedness, and all it took was someone bringing somebody to light early on, not 20 years after the fact. All it took was someone being willing to say, I'm gonna fight for this relationship, which means I'm gonna do whatever it's gonna take to restore it. But can I just say, a lot of people want to restore things, they just don't know how. They don't know how. <laughs> like, I wanna make this right. They don't have the language. They don't have the word of God. They don't have the clear process that God's actually laid out a very clear process for people being restored to one another. Right, and it's, it's actually not from the world or from science or from a professor or from some other blogger or something. It's actually from the word of God. Like he's given us a very clear process to be restored. And so I wanna encourage you before we go any farther, there is hope. If there's someone you're thinking about right now, you're saying, you know what? <laughs> It'd be great if I was actually restored to my mom, to my dad, to my brother, my roommate, girlfriend, husband, wife, Child, aunt, uncle, coach, keep going to the list. There's got to be somebody that you're thinking about right now that you have hurt and maybe they've hurt you and it's just done. And you're just like, forget it. And if you showed up in a restaurant and they were there, you'd want to sit across the room. But is that the way of the kingdom? That's the way of the world, so you can do that. There's no judgment here. If you want to do that and you don't want to restore things, that's fine. That's between you and God. 
But I'm telling you, if you're saying, you know what? No, they're worth fighting for. That hurt and that was painful, but I'm committed to restoring it. Then you can take notes for the next 20 minutes because we're going to give you a clear process to do it, all right? So this is the way to restore relationships, all right? So here we go. There's four steps. The first one is this. You got to be convicted. You got to be convicted of your sin. What's that mean? That means you recognize where you sinned and you take ownership of it. You take responsibility of it. There's no room for blaming God and blaming others. I'll say it again. When you experience real conviction, that doesn't include blaming God and blaming others. It means you take responsibility for it, which I would argue is probably the most difficult step in this entire process. Is someone actually realizing and recognizing, yeah, I'm going to own that. Not, I did this, by the way, I was encouraged to do this. I was caused to do this. You don't know my upbringing. Oh, therefore, I did this. That's called, you're not taking ownership. What you're doing is you're making excuses for why you sin. Which, just to encourage you, if you think this is just Tyler's idea, it's not. I would challenge you to find anything in the Bible, any place in the Bible, where God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, where anybody says, hey, excuses are okay in the kingdom. Just find the story. Hey, you know what? You're right. That's a valid excuse. Right? Find the story. You know what? That's a, you know what? I didn't think about that, Moses. You're right. Peter, you know, I was a little off. I know I'm God and all, but like you saw it a little differently. No. <clears throat> You will not find that being affirmed. What you will find, if you dig, is this little thing called God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. Because when you make excuses, you know what that is? It's actually another form of pride. I'm not fully going to take ownership, being willing to fully humble myself and go low. Instead, I'm going to puff myself up and make sure I don't look that bad. Right? And we all do it, guys. We all do it. We all want to say why we're late to the meeting. Man, I've been convicted, literally, lately, because I am not great at time management. That's not anyone's fault. That's on me. We're working on it. Doesn't matter how many kids you have. You got to figure it out, you know? And I found myself for a season there. I was like, you know what? If I'm late, I'm going to say I'm sorry. I'm not going to tell them why. Now, some people are like, hey, why are you late? I was like, I'm not going to tell you. Because if I tell you, that's a way for me to make an excuse for why I'm late. I'm not meaning to make an excuse, but it comes out that way. Does it make sense? Even if something as simple as like, I'm late for class, right? I'm late for class. Why? Well, it's raining. Okay. I'm late for class. My alarm didn't go off. Okay. Like, you can make up all the excuses we want. We can. But there's just not room for it. What God wants to say, just come clean. Come on. Now, conviction, you may be wondering, well, how do I get this kind of conviction? Well, thankfully, God knew about this already, and he sent the Holy Spirit. Describes the Holy Spirit in this way. John Chapter 16, verse 8, you'll be reading that on the 16th of April, if you're reading along with us. It says this, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So where does this come from? You simply can ask the question, God, where am I wrong? Where am I off? Show me. I love what David said in the Psalms, in Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. He's not just talking about, God, show me the things that I did or the things I said. He's saying, God, show me the things that I'm feeling. Show me the things that I'm thinking. 
Because I want this to be clean. God, if I get this clean, this is going to clean itself up. Did you know that? If you actually focus on the heart and the mindset, the behaviors start changing. Beliefs change behaviors, not the other way around. Right? You have to go to the core beliefs, the core realities, so you can get free. So you got to be convicted of your sin. That's step one. Step two is confess. Confess. I'll give you my <clears throat> practical outworking of confession. I am sorry. I am sorry for lying. I am sorry for stealing the toy car. <laughs> I am sorry for cheating on the test. See, real confession means I take ownership over what I did, and I tell it to you without any excuses. Now, this is, this is what we tend to do, and even I have been on this journey of getting better at this and becoming whole in this place. Here's a tendency that we all do, okay? I'm sorry you feel this way, right? I'm sorry you took what I said out of context. I'm sorry I caught you at a bad time. I mean, because if, if you were doing, what you're really trying to say is, I'm frustrated, I'm having to apologize because you've got issues. I'm frustrated because you have so many feelings and emotions going on. If you weren't so emotional, we wouldn't be having this conversation, right? That's what you're really saying. You're saying, I'm sorry, but really, you're the reason why I'm having to apologize anyways. Let's be honest, guys. We do it all the time. We do it. Just You can say amen. Yes, we do that as we're bringing stuff into the light. Just own it. Let me give you a little tip here on marriage because I've had a little experience with this in my 13 years of marriage. When I come to Ashley and say, hey, babe, and she comes to me and says, hey, I'm really sorry you took it that way. It just goes real wrong from there. She's like, you do not understand. It is not what, it's what you did. I was like, oh, yes, that's right. I'm on the process, guys. But we got to get that out of our language. That's not the church. That is not I'm sorry, which really means I'm not really sorry. I'm just bummed that I'm having to talk to you right now. And if you're the kind of person who wants to get on and move on down the road to the next thing, the next relationship, the next task, you probably have a real problem with that. I'm sorry. God. I said I'm sorry. Yeah, I can really feel that from you, you know. I'm sorry. Now, be specific, not general. All right, here's a little phrase. Remember that? Zoom in on sin, right? Zoom in on the sin. You know what you do in your little camera? You like to zoom in on those photos. You get those cool portrait photos. I don't have them on my phone yet. I want it one day. But, you know, those little shots and stuff, and you want to zoom in on stuff. Just the other day, I was cleaning our floors. I was vacuuming. And then I had to get down because there was like a, I don't know, honey spilled or something on the ground. One of my kids. So I'm cleaning the honey up, and I'm down here. I'm thinking, Wow, we have not been vacuuming this area ever. There's like a collection of all sorts of goodies. I have no idea what they were originally. They're still here. So I'm like, gross. And I'm like, whoa. You know, now I'm like, hey, that little part, that little section, that section is clean. But I get down on my hands and knees, look at it, and say, that. Not, um, I'm sorry that I just kind of hurt you. You know, let's just be real general. Because when you're general, it's another way of saying, I don't really want to own it. I'm sorry for lying to you about this thing last Monday. Whoa, you just said it. No, I'm just sorry for just kind of, you know, being rude kind of here and there. That's not it, guys. When you are general, you're like, you're, you're going around the system. The pathway to restoring relationship is to go right at it. Call a spade a spade. Now, listen. 
If you're a parent in the room or a future parent, you may have heard of the show called Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood. It's on PBS. If you're interested in your college and you're looking for something to watch, watch Daniel Tiger. You'll probably learn a lot, honestly. It's kind of the modern version of Mr. Rogers, you know, neighborhood. It's kind of, now it's animated. It's little fuzzy animals. Okay, so Daniel Tiger, he's got this great line that almost gets it. It's like almost biblical. It's just, it's just out of order a little bit. In this one episode, he's talking about how you kind of restore relationships, really, with people when you make mistakes. And the little song goes like this. Saying I'm sorry is the first step. Then how can I help? It's really catchy. So catchy, I actually know it, right? So he almost has it right. Saying I'm sorry, that's a great first step, Danny. But it's not actually how can I help. It's saying I'm sorry is a first step, and then will you forgive me? See, Daniel needs Jesus. He doesn't know that part. Because, you see, forgiveness comes after confession. I'm sorry for lying to you about this. Thank you for saying that. And will you forgive me? Man, you talk about humility. Those phrases may be the most difficult to say in the English language. I am sorry, period. Will you forgive me? That's hard to say, guys. But it's not that difficult to think about. Restoring relationships requires that. But why is it so hard? Like, why is it so hard for us to really say, I'm sorry, and not pass the blame? Because it requires a great measure of humility, which we are all born prideful, just so you know. It takes a lifetime and a process of becoming humbled. When you're willing to just get down and say, I am sorry, and when you really mean it, and just so you know, you can't fake, you can maybe fake out people, you can't fake out God. And then who are you trying to please? You know, like God sees it all. He knows your heart. That's what David said. Search me, know my heart. You already know it. I just want to come clean. Just saying, will you forgive me? You've got to truly mean it. In fact, Jesus speaks to this idea of kind of dealing with a conflict or a pain or hurt in Luke chapter 6, verse 37 through 42. It says, judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. And that's pretty good. We can stop right there, but we're not. Verse 38, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. We put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Remember that. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher. But everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck? that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out that speck that is in your eye. We probably all said that, right? Let me help you out, bro. But just calling some sin in your life, I'm doing you a favor, right? When you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye. Remember, this is Jesus here. He's about to throw down a really big word. You hypocrite. Whoa. Has anyone ever in your life used the word hypocrite with the church? Ever? You ever heard about that? Maybe you haven't. You're new on planet Earth, but hypocrite the church or Christianity. You ever heard that before? Doesn't that irritate you? It does me. I'm like, why is that the label? What it should be is like, man, those Christians are just transparent. They just confess stuff all the time. The church, vulnerability, safe place to open up. That's the church. 
Instead, it's like counseling sessions have that label now. It's okay to open up some random person you never met before, but the church can't do it because they're going to judge you. Let it not be said of us anymore. Let us be a people that do what Jesus says. He says, brother, let me take out the speck of your own eye. When you yourself do not see the log that's in your own, you hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to take out the speck that's in your brother's eye. You know what's interesting? What he's saying here, he's saying, you go first. You go first. And going first is hard. It's hard because you're like, no, there's stuff I see in you too. And everything in you just wants to be like, hey, I need to talk to you. And by the way, I'm doing the talking. You're doing the listening. And we're going to talk about you. Because <clears throat> that's safe, right? That's safe. It's like called self-defense mechanisms. I'm going to call the stuff in you. You start to me, just in one ear, out the other. Uh-uh. He's saying, hey, guess what? That was happening 2,000 years ago, by the way. It's not just like modern day. This was happening 2,000 years ago in humanity in a different part of the world. This happens now. And so what's he saying? You go first. Come clean. Share what's in your heart. Come to a conflict resolution. Come to a meeting with a friend or a parent. Say, hey, here's where I have done you wrong. Period. But Jesus doesn't say it's never okay to look at a speck in your brother's eye. What was he trying to get at, though? If you actually really will tend to your own heart and evaluate your own soul and come clean first, you realize there's a whole lot more there. And then when you do come to them, you really are coming in the spirit of helping them versus judging. If you're saying is, bro, I love you enough. I saw you cheating on that test. You're a fellow believer. We don't do that, man. What's going on? Well, dude, I'm flunking. I'm failing. And if I fail this class, I'm out of school. I get that. But it's not right to cheat. Let's talk about that. Versus, dude, you've been cheating on the test. What's wrong with you? Do you see the difference? That's the pre-going first mentality. <laughs> but if you go first, what's in you now is, man, I'm just as broken and need Jesus just as much as he does. It's not just me, the Pharisee, just trying to help out these lowly people. It's actually, wow, I'm roped in the whole mix, which is what Jesus tried to get through to their heads for the whole time. You guys are not above the law. You're lumped in with it. And if you will get that in your head, you all need saving. Everything will work out. Guys, we've got to come clean. We've got to go first. The fourth piece of this process of restoration is repentance. Repentance. Now, you may be thinking, hey, Tyler, I feel like we could lump some of these together, and that is true. You could say, hey, the word restored things is confession, repentance. But I'm ironing out the steps because I think some of them are the pieces we missed. Like the conviction has to be there. The confession has to be there. The forgiveness has to be there. And then repentance. Repentance is to turn from evil and to turn to the good. That's like the literal definition. To turn from evil and to turn to the good, meaning the goodness of God. Like turning towards God, turning away from what is evil, turning towards him. Now, repentance is not... Penance. You know what penance is? It's the voluntary suffering of punishment for sin. Sadly, throughout the church history, some have argued that penance is necessary for actual true freedom, meaning to the extreme measures, they would actually beat themselves, would uh, fast for days on end, not to draw close to God, but to punish themselves. They would um, do all sorts of things to their bodies and in order to like beat themselves up enough to where they felt like they were finally sorry for what they had done. And we may not see that as extreme case in our society, but here's what you do see in parenting, is making kids feel so bad until you, the judge of the parent, think they've really learned their lesson, then you bring them back in the fold. Why don't you go sit in timeout for a while, and then when we think you've really learned your lesson, then we'll decide when you can come back. Last I checked, that's not the biblical way for restoration. 
What if God did that to us? Hey, I know Jesus died on the cross and all. He said it all. It rose from the grave. But honestly, your sin has so much history, it's going to take about seven years for God, the Father of the universe, to actually forgive you. So why don't you be perfect for seven years and just sit in time out and realize that one day then I'll surprise you by saying you're forgiven. That's called world religions. They actually live in a guessing game their entire lives. They're guessing and hoping one day they will enter into the eternal or heavenly place based off their works and based off of God's good judgment there. They don't know if it's all going to well. So they actually live their lives so insecure of what their future will be holding. They live in this tenacious, anxious place. I mean, can you imagine? But that's what's happening in parenting across America. You did so wrong. We're going to make you pay. I'm going to belittle you. Anyone been belittled before by their parents, by a coach? It's all over the place. That's why we're so messed up. But man, you see, God's route to restoring relationships is not this penance piece. It's not remorse. Repentance is not remorse. Judas was remorseful over what he did in betraying Jesus, but it was such a shallow regret, it didn't lead him to true repentance. Repentance is not self-condemnation. I want you to hear that. Repentance is not self-condemnation. We should hate our sins, but not ourselves. We have a real problem epidemic in our country right now, in and outside the church. People are hating on themselves. And the enemy's chomping at the bit for the next victim. You need to hate your sin. Hate lying. Hate stealing. Hate abusing. Hate vain thoughts. Hate evil passions. Hate greed. But do not hate yourselves. Because when you do, self-hatred leads to self-destruction. And sadly enough, in our country, there are too many people that are taking of their own lives because it's led from self-hatred to self-destruction. And that is the plan of the enemy. Sever them off from God. Sever them off from people who actually love them and care for them. And allow them to say at one point in time, there's no reason to live. Boom. That's where it leads, guys. That's what it looks like to not go through a process of restoration. That's where that road leads. That's the end stop. That's not God's heart for any one of us. It's not his heart for the people you have beef with or issues with either. His desire is that all may know, that all may come to him, that all may humble themselves, repent, and come clean, be restored back to God. So I told you what repentance is not, but what is repentance? It does require two things. It requires true brokenness, meaning you're actually really broken up over your sin. That doesn't mean think about it for nine days or whatever. It just means, like, you truly are sorry. Like, you realize the weight of what you did. You realize the cause and the effect, as my wife likes to share. You realize there's a bunket of paint that you just dropped without the lid and exploded everybody else. And you realize how damaging that really was. And you are truly sorry for ever dropping that bucket. That's called true brokenness. And the second piece to real repentance is an honest commitment to change. Remember when Jesus would kind of address the situation and he would, tell the, he would heal the person of blindness or sickness or protect them or do something, and then he would say what? Go and sin no more. What he was saying is live a life of repentance. Like turn, turn away from the evil, turn to the good. Like, yes, you lived a life of evil. I, I know all that. But now it's time to get up, take your mat, walk this way, and turn. Guys, that's what he's calling us to. Without the repentance piece, it's not full restoration. 
You can say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me to your wife all day long, but unless you truly change, it doesn't mean much. It's, it's false words. If you really mean it, you're going to do it. You know, we talk about this, this process. I, I don't want you to miss um, that we can even know these things, know this process, but lose sight of it. I actually did something at four years old that I forgot to do at 18. At four, I said, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? At 18, I can't remember ever going to the coach or my fellow teammates and saying, guys, I am sorry. I didn't mean to score an own goal but I'm sorry. I know how that affected you and hurt you and ruined our season. I get it. I know that's sports, but I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Even at that wedding, we are so awkward with my coach, I could have said, you know what, coach? I'm so sorry. I thought that hurt you. I can see how you put most of your life, I mean, in my mind, I'm like, he puts most of his livestock in soccer. That's like his world he lives in. Even though I didn't know Jesus and had other stuff going on, I could have said, man, I'm sorry for that. I can see that. See, I miss it at 18, but that's why I said earlier, it doesn't matter how you're raised. You know what to do now. <laughs> you know what to do now. You may not know what to do this. You may be a parent here and thinking, oh, my gosh, I need to kind of work through my parenting. You may have been brought up a certain way, but God can restore now. There's hope now. I'm going to invite the band up and just invite us to stand as we get ready to close here in just a moment. If we got anyone on our prayer team, our life group leaders, make your way up here as well. But, you know, with, with, with my kids, um, I'm really trying to work on this with them. And just to hopefully bring it home for us, you know, when one of my children does something that's disobedient or whatever, we bring them in and we have to discipline them. And at the tail end discipline, though, it's not complete until we go through this process. And so it doesn't matter how little they are, I tell them after, dis- after discipline, I say, okay, I need you to say, I need you to look at me in the eyes, say, Daddy, I'm sorry. And they're crying or whatever, like, I'm sorry, Daddy. And, but, you know, if they just say I'm sorry, we're not actually fully restored. They're sorry. But what I make them do is I say, I need you to then say, Daddy, will you forgive me? You want to know what happens when they say the phrase, will you forgive me? I don't have to ask them to give Daddy a hug. They just lean in and just start crying on my shoulder. I say, Daddy, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I say, all is forgiven. And I hug them and they cry. And then I look them in the face. I say, you ready to move on? This stays here. We're moving on. The rest of the day can be a great day. I know it's 8.30 in the morning. We got a whole day though. We're not gonna walk around like this. But guys, I would argue that some of us need that kind of restoration. You know, we've been talking about restoring things with people today, but I don't want you to miss that this is actually the restoration plan with God. See, Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. That's what Paul says in Romans 
10, but in Matthew 7, you know, Jesus says, before Paul wrote this, he said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. You see, it's not just, I'm sorry. It's I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Now show me the way to run after you. Show me the way to turn from evil and to get rid of that life and to turn towards you. God, help me, because that's a real repentant heart. It's when they say, I am done. I want to turn towards you. I want to do the will of the Father. And what's so encouraging about all this is that everybody has hope. John 3, 16, 17, these are the words of Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The world might have eternal life through him. People, individuals, you and me. And if you want relationship to be restored between you and your parents or you and your brother, this is the process. You see, God said there's actually a similar process. It's the same thing between you and me and you and them. It's the same thing. But both require humility. Both require conviction. Both require confession. Both require forgiveness. And both require repentance. So here's how we're going to respond, guys. Every one of us in this room could probably think of one person who would need to be restored to. So as we worship, here's what you do. I just want you to write that name down, type in your phone. Log in your mind. One person. If you don't know, just pray right now as we're about to pray and just say, God, show me one person I need to be restored to. And as you feel led, there's people there just to pray for you. If you just need encouragement, if you're like, man, that's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. Let someone pray for you just to give you courage to say, hey, I'm with you. And maybe God's saying this week, this is the week to take that step to restore the relationship. I don't know what it is for you. But if you're feeling nervous, feeling anxious, come up, let someone pray for you. Or turn to a friend and say, hey, do you pray for me? I'm feeling freaked out here. I want to be restored, but you don't know all the pain. And to come clean, allow us, the church, to get around you because this is what we do. We are in the business of restoring people back to God, restoring people back to each other. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you. We love you. And we just say thank you for making a way. Thank you for making a way for us to be restored to the Father. And thank you for giving us a model and making the way for us to be restored back to people. That's our heart's desire, God. Restore us today. Bring to mind those that we can initiate the restoration process too. And allow us to walk in humility in the process. We pray in Jesus' name.